Jessica walked along the yellow tiled corridors to the train platform, listening to the echo of her footsteps through the dim, empty station. The platform was deserted. Jessica suppressed a shudder. The shadowy stillness made it easy to imagine that she was buried alive. The silence seemed to wait, holding its breath. Jessica held her breath, too. Suddenly, Jessica froze. A strange noise was coming out of the dark tunnel. It was a heavy, panting sound, definitely not the subway train. And it was coming faster. Jessica's eyes widened. She certainly wasn't going to wait around on the deserted platform to see if it was coming for her. She took off, running full speed down the platform with her shopping bags bumping uncomfortably around her legs. She had to get away from the panting, away from something that was coming faster and faster out of the shadows. In a panic, she realized that the creature was rapidly catching up with her. She couldn't outrun it. The panting was directly behind her. Jessica felt the creature's hot breath on the back of her neck. Then she tripped and fell to the cold tile floor. Whose idea was Are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? I can't wait till Jessica and Elizabeth murder each other. <laughs> Wolfields! Oh my god, I think she banged a werewolf right before she got here. <laughs> it's Elizabeth Gomez. She married a werewolf when she was just 23 years old and has the scars to prove it. It's Adrian Gunn. <laughs> okay, everyone, for real. He, it was like, he was actually just like a cis white guy, but monster still the same. Hey, monster just the same. And this is Wokefield, where two middle-aged comedians realize all their problems started with Sweet Valley High. Each week, we read a Sweet Valley High novel and talk about how the most beautiful twins in all the land Jessica and Elizabeth completely fucked up our ideas of being a woman in America. Hey, today we are talking about A Date with a Werewolf, which is basically an episode of Scooby-Doo featuring special guest stars the Wakefield twins. There's a murder, a secret door, maybe even a werewolf. Raggy, looks like we got a mystery on our hands. Zoing Scoops! <laughs> Because this is a very special bonus episode, we have no guests at all, just the two of us talking about what happens when you accidentally marry a monster. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and I think we'll talk a little bit about, you know, everything we learned in season one, yeah? Yes, and I'm really actually very sad about this. As you should be. I know you love reading these books I on Sunday not. afternoons. <laughs> I do not. I do not. I am glad to not be reading these books, but I am sad to close this journey. Elizabeth, when we were reading this book, you texted me and you were like, Adrian, this is like a Scooby-Doo novel. <laughs> <laughs> it is the most ridiculous. It is. It's like a game of Clue in a book. Yeah, she, you could definitely tell that maybe during this period, like the uh, murder she wrote was very popular. Yeah. Clue. Yeah. Because she's definitely trying to like bring us into this world of like supernatural animals yes. and, and, and um, myth, mythical creatures. Yes. Uh, and she, once again, does a terrible job. <laughs> 
I don't know. So I do want to tell our viewers, I mean, we'll get to this more, but we chose this book because we were like, okay, we're going to read this book where Jessica doesn't know she's dating a monster. And then we're going to talk about how we both accidentally married monsters. But then what happened was this book apparently has a sequel. So we never even found out who the monster was. There is never a reveal. <laughs> and I believe that I texted you once I read the book. Once I read the book, I think I texted you and I was like, I am so full of rage right now. <laughs> there was definitely a point where you were like, I'm going to start reading. And I was like, I'm a little worried you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> and, I but, I, and I did not. But tell them what happens. Okay. So Jessica and Elizabeth, for some reason, somehow in this whole big wide world, was able to get an internship with The Journal. The London, the London Journal. Journal. The big, big magazine or newspaper in London. Yes. A 16-year-old high school student. Yes. They go to London. I don't even remember if it's summer or not. All I know is the weather's not great in London. As, so. it, as it always is. Right. So there's a lot of rain. So I'm not sure if they're there on summer or what, but they're living in this like dorm where there are other people. There's an Australian. There's a French person. There's a girl from Liverpool. She'll be important later. Lena, Lena from Liverpool. Yes. Just remember that as we go through this recap, everyone. Yes. So then Jessica's already got a new boyfriend. Yeah, oh, I should say this book is part of a trilogy so we skipped the first book where jessica and elizabeth got boyfriends we read the middle one and then apparently we have missed what actually <laughs> happens in the end i think we'll we'll know we'll we'll talk about yes, it in the recap yes but jessica is She's now got dating a um lord robert pembroke jr yes and uh she is staying in his mansion the book opens up they're both in the mansion and what's really interesting about the the beginning it's of a, this it's book, a manor dude it's like a countryside manor and the pembrokes are fucking cousins of the queen so like let's just get it don't get it twisted okay <laughs> I'm like, I'm not really sure the difference between a manor and a mansion because I basically live, I was like, for the rest of my life, I'm going to live in a one bedroom apartment. <laughs> I think that the manor indicates that you have a lot of land. A mansion definitely has a lot of land. Not a, I mean, there's mansions in Chicago. All right. Stay focused, Adrian. <laughs> Stay focused. Okay, I'm sorry. So they're at the manor. They're at, they're the, at manor. the Pembroke's manor. And what happens? Where does how does it open? Well, the book opens where Elizabeth is, and I hate this this like technique people use in books yes. where they open books with quotes. So you have no idea where you are. You have no idea what's happening. You it's just have dialogue in media res. It's <laughs> I don't like it. Okay, yes. So she's like, oh my God, Jessica's been murdered. And Jessica hasn't been murdered. Instead, Obviously. it's someone else in the house and everyone's relieved. A totally <laughs> inconsequential character has had her throat ripped out in Jessica's bed. Yes, and her name is Joy, ironically. Yes, she's not so joyful today because bitch is dead. She's dead. Yes. Cold to the touch. Yes. And she is the fiance of Mr. Thatcher, yeah. who is the police chief in or like police London, officer but they're in the countryside because then a constable gets called in i mean it makes no sense it makes no sense so then elizabeth is like oh no jessica's dead but then jessica shows up and yeah. then she's like oh no jessica's still alive as well i would but feel if i was elizabeth goes, i would have been like whoa if jessica was dead all my problems would be brought up <laughs> but no instead she's like jessica's in danger and she does this whole thing this entire book where jessica's in danger but nobody understands why and I will also say the I actually enjoyed this book because 
I used to read, like I still have them in my um, bookshelf right now, My all of my mom's Nancy Drew books from when she was a girl. And I used to write Nancy Drew fan fiction. <laughs> So when I read this, when Elizabeth put on her Nancy Drew hat and was like, I'm going to solve this mystery, I was here for it. Well, so Elizabeth then is like, I'm going to solve this mystery. Yes. (laughs) And um, that's when it started to feel very Scooby-Doo, very Agatha Christie. So then she finds a piece of satin (laughs) and some fur (laughs) caught in the doorway of where this woman has been murdered. So this is like the evidence that she uses to start like snooping around. Yes. And her boyfriend, meanwhile, Luke, is very into werewolves. And has given her a pentagram necklace. All werewolf Satan. in the middle <laughs> to ward her against a werewolf attack. I'm going to tell you, I'm a big metal fan and I don't think I've ever had, <laughs> I've never seen that in any kind of images. Lots of like Satan. Maybe you could <laughs> draw it for us for our Instagram because you're a good artist. Let's I make do, that I'm, happen. I'm better at dicks. So <laughs> anyways, she, uh, Elizabeth like decides that she's going to, to write this story and then in the meantime, she goes to the journal. She doesn't want to tell the journal what she thinks she knows. Right. And Cause um, the, Oh, because also because the Pembrokes own the newspaper. That's correct. Yeah. And so there is uh, a period where Elizabeth is now like kind of snooping around the manor, making yeah. up excuses to go to the Nancy manor. Nancy drew in it. And the kind of this is kind of a weird story, but <laughs> Lady Pembroke has lost her mink. Oh, don't even go down this no, but it's plot. Impor- it's important because um, she's lost her mink and the paper is writing a story about the stolen yep. mink that yep. she had gotten stolen at a restaurant. And now Elizabeth wants to get back into the manor in order to get back into the manor. She pretends to be Jessica following up on the storyline. Uh, so many like times these fucking twins pretending to be each other. It's awful. But then this is important. Never to fuck a guy, by the way. <laughs> it is, uh, that's two dead ringers, but we'll talk about that in another podcast. Okay. But the two, so now she's pretended to be Jessica. And um, the reason this is important is because Jessica then later finds out that Elizabeth pretended to be her. Lady Pembroke was uh, insulted and offended. Yes. So of course this makes Jessica dig her heels in more with her new lover, Robert Pembroke Jr., yes. who is now suspected of being a werewolf. Right. Listen, I will say everything you just said in that entire paragraph did not explain at all why we think he's a werewolf. And you know what? You were exactly right. <laughs> like, there's no clear indication why this guy could possibly be a werewolf. But Elizabeth then at the Pembroke estate, she gets she weasels her way back in there. She pulls a copy it's a little on the nose, but she pulls a copy of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde out of the bookshelf, and dun, 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 a secret door opens to where? To a new room that's full of werewolf stuff. Yes. Like, like there are so, wolves on, like, heads of wolves lining the walls. There's a telephone. Yes, and there's books. There's books. definitely, like, this is kind of like uh, Lord Pembroke, the yeah. dad's area where he does a lot of research on werewolves. We don't ever understand why he's so into werewolves. We don't understand why he ever um, started this whole process and why he thinks that maybe his son is a werewolf. The only clue that we get is that there was a murder early on. And at this point, this mansion has had two murders now because also one of the servants get, get murdered. But um, the only clue that we get is that the original murder of one of the Londoners, uh, there is a cigarette case that's left behind and some fur. <laughs> <laughs> and the cigarette 
secret case has Robert uh, Pembroke Jr.'s signature on it or somehow is owned listen, by the guy. Listen, I got to say, perhaps if we had read the first book in this trilogy, we would understand it more. But I would wager a bet that that is not accurate. <laughs> I think we understand it just fine, and it makes no sense. Correct. And so, uh, you know, Robert Pembroke is, um, you know, he's just trying to live his life with Jessica. Dad Pembroke is like, I don't want anyone to find out about the cigarette case yeah. because my son is is possibly a werewolf, yeah. possibly not a werewolf. We don't really Elizabeth know. Elizabeth hates Pembroke because he's got a Bruce Patman vibe and is probably a werewolf. Right. And, and Lady Pembroke is like, oh, my chinchilla. So... <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, Elizabeth, of course, is trying to chase this story. Now, yes. Jessica, in the meantime, is falling in love. Robert uh, Thatcher comes back. Yes. Thatcher, the police officer, comes back because the cook has now been murdered. Yes. And Thatcher says to Lord Pembroke, dad, and says, hey, I'm not covering up for you, you after these four murders I've already covered up you for you. You would think after his girlfriend was murdered at the Pembroke estate, he would have stopped covering up the murders. But no. 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 And so Lord Pembroke is like, Thatcher, give me till 10 p.m. tonight and I will hand over all the evidence. And Thatcher is like, you only have till 10 p.m. tonight. For, which to me is like yeah. not great police work. Yeah. Because if you're a police officer and you <laughs> see that someone. Not great police work. <laughs> Look, it's bad enough you're covering up the murders, right? But also, now you're like, here's your timeline to escape. Give passports to your son yeah. as he runs away. And he does escape. I will say at some point, so he, little Pembroke is going to take Jessica to Stonehenge. And I was like, fuck yeah. These two are going to go to Stonehenge. Some sort of cool ritual, like witchy shit is going to happen. Pembroke's going to turn into a werewolf. We're going to see the whole thing. No. What happens is he cancels her date to go on the run. That's, a, that's exactly what happens. He never explains it to her. She ends up going shopping. Jessica's like, I am so sad. At Harrods. I'm going to go shopping at Harrods. And she goes through all the shopping. And as she's leaving the store, she wa starts walking down this tunnel. Yes. She's at the tube. Yes. The tube. Yes. And as she's walking, she feels like it's all so weird because there's yes. nobody on the platform. Yes. And then she hears a noise behind her. And she's like, is it a werewolf? And then she falls over. And then some like businessmen drunk from like a businessman lunch come down <laughs> and scare the werewolf scare the werewolf. <laughs> Okay, let me also just really quickly summarize the B-plot because it does not need to be big, but we do need to say it because it's the climactic moment. So, like, I'm expecting the climactic moment is Jessica and the Pembroke dude go to Stonehenge, some witchy shit happens, and he becomes a werewolf. Right, right? and Elizabeth, like, breaks open the story right. and everything is going to be, right. like, back to normal. Right. And I'm then we're left with, like, cliffhanger for the next yes. book. But no, instead the climax of the book has to do with the B-plot, which is, remember... Lena from Liverpool. Liverpool Lena. Yes, she's just a poor girl with a bad Liverpoolian aspect accent. <laughs> but instead, no, actually, she's the missing princess of England. <laughs> she's just hiding out with the Wakefield twins at the dorm, trying to get a feel for regular life. Yes, and she's getting finger banged probably by this guy, David, who also yeah. goes to the school, and he's very blue collar. And <sighs> if he finds out that she's a princess, 
all their romance will just sh- like just fizzle up and die. Literally, his dialogue is the worst thing I've ever read in my entire life. I took screenshots of it. I sent it to people, and I was like, "Why do I worry about being a writer? Like <laughs> this has been published. I read it. Millions of people read it, and it's horrific." Yes, and he's also so. Then Lena's like, "If he finds out that I'm a princess." then he's going to hate me forever. Yes. So, of course, he finds out that she's a princess in a very classic move, right? Yes. So, uh, Pembroke, Lord Pembroke owns the journal. Yes. And he thinks that his son is a werewolf. Yes. So he's been writing these stories to cover up the murders in the in the paper about the missing princess. Yes. So she's kind of like a red herring. Just kind of be like, hey, yeah, this so is the a stories look over are here. about the missing princess. Yes. And yes. then in the latest one, it's like she's been murdered, but then there's a picture of her right there. And David picks up the newspaper. He looks at the picture. He looks at the princess. Yeah. He looks at the picture. Yes. He looks at the princess, yes. and then she takes off. Listen, let me just say though, I loved. I'm a child of the 80s. I loved the life before cell phones and social media moment. (laughs) Like, imagine being the princess of England and you can just be like, no one knows what I look like. I'm just going to like hook up over at this dorm. Well, that's why the story is so not believable. Because the (laughs) one thing before the cell phones were happening was definitely the royal family was getting photographed. Well, that's I saw the crown. I think you've watched the crown. We both know that people love them. But she's not the top child. There's like five children and she's like at the end. She's and then there's a whole B plot with Portia, another roommate that that, has an acting moment. She's the daughter of Sir Anthony Hopkins. Anyway, let's just say, what is the climax? We So there's a... There there's, is no climax. Yes, there is. So there's a press conference, and you think at the press oh, conference, right, right. they're suddenly going to be like, we know about a werewolf, and there's all these murders. No. What happens is Dave, dorky Dave, stumbles out and is like, I found the princess, because he's going to collect... claim the, the million dollars. Award. Yeah, he's going to collect this reward for finding the princess, and then she comes out, and she's like, yes, it is I, Eliana, princess of England, and I'm giving this money, this reward to Dave, who's going to not only become a doctor, but he is going to dedicate his entire life to homeless people and doctoring them. And, open, and opening a clinic. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was like, he is 18 years old. Maybe he doesn't know this is a big promise to make. Well, he did say it earlier in the book. Still, that is the one consistent thing about the book. years ago. <laughs> so anyway... And when I finished this book, I was like, uh-oh, Elizabeth's going to be really upset because we don't even know who the werewolf is. <laughs> but we do know because what's weird about the whole thing is the one person who is pushing Elizabeth about this werewolf theory is her boyfriend, Luke. Yes. And I texted you and I was like, I mean, Luke is the werewolf, right? 100%. Yeah. Unless it's Lord Pembroke. No, because then I looked up to see what the sequel was. And on the Amazon comments, it was like, Elizabeth is on her high horse that Jessica's dating a werewolf, but it doesn't turn out how she expected. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Because Luke is the werewolf. <laughs> anyway, who gives a fuck? Let's talk about marriages. <laughs>
I am, uh, I have like a lot of mixed feelings right now today. Oh, because, really? Yeah. Well, you know, today is going to be the last episode of our season. Yes. This has been a great journey. I've had so much fun doing this. Um, you and I have tried lots and lots of different projects, <laughs> but this seems to be one that like really stuck and went all the way through. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, the reason we picked this book was... As you said at the top of the episode, we thought Jessica would date a werewolf yes. and then she would date somebody that she thought was a certain person and find out that he's something else. And then we could talk a little bit about like our ex-husbands and our journey with marriage and yes. um, divorce and such. But that's not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, the idea of what happened. So I think we can still talk about those things. But yes, I think we were really looking for like moments where like Jessica was going to be like, oh, no, I'm dating a monster. <laughs> right. And we could then be like, when was your moment where you realized? <laughs> <laughs> when? Um, and I, I think that, that what the book did give us is a gift. And so, you know, our discussion this week is going to be a little bit different because we don't have a guest nope. and we really are going to get very personal here you and me yes and I'm excited about it because I do think there's a lot of things from the season that I'd like to talk a little bit about and there's a lot that I want to talk about with the book one of the things that I keep thinking about is this idea of transformation about how you start one way and then you become a different way you and I met what five we just had our Facebook friends anniversary. <laughs> and when Elizabeth was like we've tried other projects let's just say in our Facebook friend anniversary where they made us a video we're in like matching outfits in like all the photos, <laughs> many of which are leotards. <laughs> yes. Well, we we were very good about wearing them, and they we did like look super cute. We like a um, So let's talk about that because when yeah. I, when so we had talked a little bit before about how we met, and um, like how interesting it is that we've come together because we're so different, but mm-hmm. still like so much. We've had so many like life experiences that are actually parallel and had no idea Mm -hmm. so when I first met you I remember looking at you and being like oh my god this blonde bitch is so stunning (laughs) and you had I went to your I remember the first time I went to your apartment when you were living um off of western and I was like oh my god she has like a couch she definitely didn't buy at a thrift store (laughs) (laughs) and I was so stunned and like uh in awe of basically like, (laughs) like who you were, even though I was like, we cannot, there's nothing that we're going to have to talk about. (laughs) There's there's like, we have nothing. We're never going to have anything in common except for the fact that we both loved comedy. Yes. So I just want to say that as an Enneagram three, I'm glad that you took away from our initial meetings, all of my image protective measures, <laughs> and you had the exact feelings they were intended. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she has a painting and it's framed. <laughs> Listen, five years later, I've changed some, but I will definitely say, um, I'm glad that you were impressed because it was definitely, I was trying to impress you. I remember the first time that I saw you. I don't know if we, I spoke to you because I would have been nervous, but you were. we were in like a Kate show together and you were like kicking around. You might have been hosting and you were like kicking around in your fucking Converse and like a little sexy <laughs> dress and just like, you know, talking to people about like waxing your vagina on your own at home with like a DIY kit. And I think you like called your vagina like a moose knuckle or a meat sheet or just something outrageous. And I was like, wow. Wow, 
this fucking girl is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as an Enneagram 7, I really enjoy the fact that you just went with the journey. (laughs) I think it's a beef curtains. It was it was moose knuckles, beef curtains, meat sheets. I mean, there were a lot of synonyms in that piece that were just like, wow, Elizabeth has a very big vagina. <laughs> to everyone out there, I do have a very fat pussy. Yes. I mean, I think that was the point of the story. Well, I was I mean, that is exactly like the difference between us, right? Like I'm on stage talking about my fat pussy and you have like framed photos. <laughs> I mean, I was so impressed by that. But let's talk about that a little bit. So when we started becoming friends, we started becoming friends because we have a love for comedy and for writing. And we yeah. belong to a group called the Cates. And uh, again, you know, shout out to them. We've had Kelsey Huff on. Uh, so go back and listen to that episode if you missed it. So when we first met each other, I think one of the things that brought us together was definitely like our love for comedy, our love for writing. We had uh, met each other through a group called the Cates. Uh, we've had the founder of the Cates on the show, Kelsey Huff. Please go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. But as we started talking to each other, we realized that we had a lot in common, actually. Yeah. I mean, so I knew that you had kids, but I will say a thing Elizabeth tries to keep secret and a lot of people are surprised about is the fact that she is both married and a mother. time people are like wait you're married like no one knows but I knew that she was somehow I think I don't know if I'd heard a story like that you told not gossip but like a story you told about being a mother I knew that you had at some point been like a single parent and I was a single parent so if it was five years ago if you can believe this Max was only six. Oh my god I can't believe that so he would have been in first grade and it's so funny because a lot of times when we talk you'll be like you've transformed so much in these five years and I don't really like see it I don't know I mean I do and I don't but you'll especially talk about like my ability to like deal with my ex-husband or like my child and like I think a lot of that has to do with the fact I mean there's a big difference between being six and being 11 but like when we first met my ex-husband um you know, he has his struggles and he was having some major ones. And I think at some point, like I must've told you about them and Max was very little and we were riding bikes together. And then you were like, Oh, BT dubs, my ex-husband has these exact same struggles and somehow. Well, let's, um, let's name him. I mean, like what, what, so one of the things I think when we started talking about it was that I was surprised to find another woman who has been a single mom trying to raise a kid had an ex-husband who is bipolar. Yeah. And that's, that's an, um, you know, well, let's, let's just hop into that. It's like the fact that my ex-husband is bipolar and your ex-husband was bipolar means that we were dealing with a very special situation. If, if any of you guys, uh, aren't familiar with what bipolar is, you can definitely Google it, but I will tell you that it is very common that the signs of having bipolar doesn't show up until people are like in their 20s. Yes. Very normal. Yes. Which I think is like, and and we should also probably clarify that our ex-husbands are not like people who are getting regular therapy or regular like psychiatric help or like in a way, especially at the time that we were married to them. So it's like, we've got love for everyone with you know, mental health issues. We have our own mental health issues. We have children. I mean, like, this is not like a blasting on people with mental health issues. But 
when we were both married, we experienced people with mental health issues that were like wildly out of control. Yeah. And I think that we didn't know. Yeah. Right. So like this is this is where we were really interested in this particular book is yeah. this whole idea of transformation. So you're dating somebody or you're married to somebody who you think is like a certain way. You're like they're calm, they're kind, they're thoughtful. And then the full moon comes out and they're yeah. complete like they're completely out of control. And I don't think that it was help like we didn't really have those diagnoses while necessarily married for me. I don't, I wasn't married when I was married to my ex-husband. Um, we didn't quite have that diagnosis. So I didn't really understand why he was taking the actions that he did, mm -hmm. which included, I mean, like, let's be honest about when we're talking about issues with mental illness or, or mental challenges, I would guess we would say, it's not that you couldn't be a normal, like a normally function, functioning human being, but that there are challenges for people who don't understand the diagnosis, mm -hmm. right? So like some of the things that I can remember that are really minor were things like how nothing in our house was ever completed. My ex would like start some project, he'd stop projects. He'd start some projects, he'd stop them. Or he would go like all night long and rearrange all the furniture and really change things. But the things that affected me that led to our divorce is like, and like yelling and getting irrational over things that were really minor or mm -hmm. the fact that he would make decisions that weren't, that he didn't ever fully thought out, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and I do want to come to this very like kind and compassionate, but they are very scary when you're raising children mm -hmm. and you don't know what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing we've talked about a lot and like are kind of bonded over. So I met my ex-husband when I was 20. We got married when I was 23 Babies. And, yeah. And I literally had no idea that somebody could basically like change personalities completely. Right. Like I didn't know that that was an option. Nobody said to me like, hey, wait to get married till you're 30. Make sure everybody's on the up and up, <laughs> you know. And so when my ex-husband did completely change personalities in a way that was like abusive, like tons of yelling and meanness and just like where my entire life was like, um, you know, twisted inside out over like what he needed or what was going on all the time. I, I just had no idea that it could happen. And I had no I way to process that it had happened. Um, and it's, you know, it's a sadness. It's a bummer, you know, because it's like I, I blame myself a lot in ways where I'm like, well, if I had known that this could happen, then I wouldn't have gotten married. Yeah, I, I find that challenging, too. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably part of the journey of dealing with someone who has those, those kind of challenges yeah. is that they don't know. You know, so like when I when I pull myself fully back, I'm always like. Well, you know, he's doing the best he can under yeah. the circumstances he has, but it's still like, we can't dismiss the fact that it still affects me. It still mm -hmm. affected our family. It still affected our time together. Yeah. And when I met you, it was the first time that I had met a woman or a person who was going through the things that I had been through. So at that point I had been well out of my, my relationship with my ex-husband, but you were, you still have to deal with your ex because my kids were older yeah. at the time that we met. So you still had to deal with your ex on a different level than I did. But it was the first time that I was like, 
oh man, I'm not crazy. Yeah. And we've talked about that a lot too, because I remember, so I moved, I, my husband and I went to college together. We moved to Chicago together. We had a lot of the same friends. And then we moved to Oregon where I did, was going to do my MFA. And that's also where I got pregnant and had a baby. And that's also where everything went fucking off the rails. And I remember like trying to explain to the people back home what was going on, like our friend, like my friends, but that were also his friends. And that like people just did not get it at all. And I remember one of my friends who was like outside of this group, Jen said to me, she was like, it literally doesn't matter at all what anyone believes is true. She's like, you know what is true and what is happening here. And I've thought about that so many times since then because I did feel very isolated because I didn't even understand entirely what was happening. Like I thought I was married to this person. All of a sudden I'm married to a person who's like threatening to commit suicide or I'm worried that he's going to like kill my baby, you know, like fucked up shit. And then when I met you, you were like, oh yeah, I know all about sending my kids over to somebody's (laughs) house and being worried that maybe everyone's going to wind up dead. And like, I know I'm laughing and being silly about it, but the truth of the matter is, is that is a very fucked up place to be. And, you know, we talk about how I'm in therapy and whatever, but like, that's a thing that I've like talked to my therapist about, like in terms of like, if you are in a place where you have to send your child away and you, you have to, it's the law. This is what you have to do. And you've made an agreement. Yeah. And you are still worried that potentially your ex-husband might murder him, the kid in himself, but you still have to do it. And then, you know, X amount of years later, you're supposed to be like on the dating scene, (laughs) like not bitter and just like open and trusting. It's fucking tough, man. I think that's always, that's always a challenge because I think like, how do you approach these very heavy, real things with a sense of humor? And you have to approach it with a sense of humor. So I want to say to anybody who's listening, who's like, oh my God, these guys are great, like terrible parents because they would send their kids in these situations. You don't know. Well, and you, you have don't, to. You right. can't not do it. Right. I mean, and, like, it's the law. They'll call the police. And when you're dealing with somebody who is, like, mentally, you know, unregulated, like, at any moment, anything is about to become a big fucking thing. Right. And the other challenge is that when other people see or are with that person, they don't necessarily see those things, yes. which is yeah. hard. Like, if you... One of the things that I would say about my ex is he is such a charmer Mm -hmm. and anyone who talks to him for like 10 minutes is always going to think that he's a great guy and he's super, super fun. And he's like very like outgoing and, um, vivacious. But then, you know, you talk to him 11 minutes later, he's talking about bunkers and like (laughs) guns and, you know, so it's, it's always really hard to balance that and to have someone look at you and talk to you in a way that you want to be respectful to this person that you know has all these issues, but you also have to be realistic about what your experience is. And so anyone who's listening to this, I just want you to remember that while we're having this conversation because it's a hard conversation to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if anything, we have been people who have been like, overly empathetic towards our exes and like overly I mean I sent my ex Chex Mix my special (laughs) we had a whole debate about that I I remember (laughs) my special homemade Chex Mix it is the thing I make every holidays it's legendary I sent him an entire tub and fucking four days later he was like fuck you you fucking bitch in a 
in a text yeah. and like the same old shit. You know, I mean, I think though, again, like it's less about them and it's more about the fact that like we didn't feel seen until we saw each other. Yes. And it has been very meaningful, I think, to both of us to like maybe not feel crazy, even though we should have never felt crazy. Ab- but like, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my favorite stories about like how crazy I used to feel was like years, years and years. I think I've told you the story, but for our listeners, you're in for a treat. <laughs> so years and years after I had been uh, already, I was already married to my new husband who my mom adores. Um, but we were at my, my youngest kid's eighth grade graduation and we're sitting at the, on, on this row and it's like my mom, my stepdad, my mom, uh, me, my husband, my daughter, my oldest daughter and my ex-husband all in this row. My mom, who I had told about all the, all the salacious things that my ex-husband did to me, which I'm not going to get in here because, you know, hopefully you I guys mean, can just, just imagine say it. stealing money from you when you were pregnant. <laughs> right. Not great. Not great. <laughs> not a good look. So my mom literally reaches across all four people <laughs> during the ceremony and leans over to my ex-husband and is like, Jeff, I sorry my daughter divorced you. <laughs> That like, feels good. I was like, it's good to have support. Right. I was like, <laughs> under her arm is like me and my husband. <laughs> it's like, what is happening? But that was always my experience. And once I met you, I felt like not only did I meet somebody who really understood my journey uh, with a bipolar ex husband, but you are also probably the first friend that I've had in my adult life who's a single mom, mm-hmm. which is its own whole thing, right? Like, having to raise the kids, figuring out where they're going to go, not having much family support when you do have it. And um, that was like very bonding. But then the next level that I think you and I connected on so far as like kind of transformation through friendship is uh, that we started to build each other up. Mm -hmm. That like you would have these things with your ex-husband and then I would be like, no, that's, the, that's a boundary to be drawn. Like you mm-hmm. need to like step up and maybe in that space. Or like, I would be like, I'm not good at this thing. And you would say to me, no, you're being an idiot. Like, I think that at that point I was like, wait a minute, you can find people who are your equals mm-hmm. and who will support each other and like push each other the same way despite those like negative experiences. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to get too big for my britches because I recognize you're an Enneagram seven and at any moment you might chuck it all, <laughs> me included, and go off in a van. Enneagram sevens are like, very loyal, Adrian. Have you not also, re- read the wisdom of the Enneagram? I'm just saying. No, I mean, I think... You know, I don't want to be like our friendship. <laughs> it should be a template for everyone. <laughs> but no, I do feel that a thing that we have together, and listen, we fight sometimes. We and do. Because like, we're both very opinionated people. And what? Like, oh my God. Our most recent, like, tiff, I feel like Elizabeth said something that was like, well, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. You've already decided. And I was like, <laughs> really like hurt and then we had to like drink wine I had to be like I listen to your your opinion is so important to me but like it it is and was 
But to what you're saying is I, I do think that um, one thing that we've built from some of these shared experiences is we have a lot of trust in each other's own goodwill and good faith for the other person, which I think there are, I have relationships where I feel like an underlying competitiveness or I have relationships where I feel an underlying like level of sensitivity where I need to be like ensuring I'm not like hurting feelings or whatever. But like you and I, we're very much like just straight shooting and always hoping for the best for both of us. Yeah, 100%. I think that that's definitely true. Um, we, we've been covering a lot this season in Sweet Valley High moments, which really transfer into or translate into more deeper discussions. Yeah. One of the things that I keep thinking about is I would love to talk about kind of this push pull that we we both kind of constantly are struggling with. Right. Like we've talked about the creative process. We've talked about friendships, things like that. Um, in a previous episode, the one with Taylor Mahan, please go back and listen to that episode. Such it's one of my one. favorites. Um, we talked about the difference between like me and Taylor versus you. Like you're like monogram. <laughs> Hurtful. Right. You're like monogram purse lady. And I'm like, I'm going to wear a ripped t-shirt that has a Slayer bacon logo. <laughs> like, yeah. we're, we're, we're definitely different. Yes. Um, but one of the things that Taylor had brought up, and I think that I really do uh, relate to and I see you the same way is that you present like definitely present basic bitch you're like I got my Uggs I got my Starbucks <laughs> cup I got my blonde hair but you're not really that person mm-hmm. like in your heart and you've said to me that sometimes the things that you deal with or th- think about are always kind of this like push and pull about what you think life should be like versus who what you really honestly believe and it's been very reflective obviously in our Sweet Valley a high book journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. One of the things I would say is like, you know, you've talked about with Kim Hunt about your shame around divorce, mm-hmm. or you've talked about um, your, your Enneagram threeness around appearances. So can you give me a little information on that or like thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this book journey also, you know, I've already said this, but like I'm in therapy, but it, it these two things have paralleled each other. I think like somehow that like we started this book journey and I also started therapy around the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it has been very interesting to me to be like unpacking some of my childhood stuff while also revisiting all these childhood books and really thinking about like how I was formed And thinking about it in a way that's like compassionate to who I am, which is not normally how I would spend time thinking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Being like, oh, Adrian, you're so sweet. (laughs) Be nice. No. Um, But to what you're saying, I think I didn't realize when we started on this journey just how seriously little Adrian, tween Adrian took this Stop. Oh my God. Yeah. You've, you've commented that so many times. It has that you're been a like, revelation. This is, yeah. This is like a real life to me. Yeah. I mean, like I didn't realize how core to who, what my values were and what I thought was important. These books and like TGIF, the Cosby show, <laughs> like all this stuff 
was to what I, I, now I can see it. I'm like, I was a kid who's my parent, my parents didn't pay any attention to me. I was reading these books. I was watching these shows and I was dreaming about what life could be once I got away from them. Yeah. Like living in a fantasy, very much like Mm -hmm. we talked about in the last episode uh, or two episodes ago with Anita. It was like this idea of like living in a fantasy, like constantly creating Mm -hmm. a world that's not really based in reality. Yeah. Which is also a little tough because I'm a writer And so, like, those imaginings and fantasies and all those things are, like, very important for being a fiction writer. Not so great (laughs) for, like, creating a life that's, like, meaningful and real. (laughs) (laughs) And also, another thing I took really hard, like, my kid, um, who I love very much, has some special needs. Um, So he has some special needs. My ex-husband, like, sort of lost it and we got divorced and those two things together I think I have found to be like very upsetting for how far away they are from like the Cosby show life I had intended like I intended I think to have like a Jessica Wakefield college experience and then move on and get married and move into my Cosby show experience But do you feel, I mean, do, do, do you feel like disappointed by that? Like, I feel like you, I mean, my, my vibe with you is always that, you know, you're very honest with me. I don't feel like, I feel like you're conflicted sometimes about mm-hmm. it, but do you feel bad about it? Do you feel That sad? things didn't turn out how I thought they would? Yeah, I did for sure when I got divorced. I spent, I, you know, I was 30 years old. My kid wasn't even one yet. And I experienced a lot of shame and sadness that I was now this like divorced person. And it's so funny because like when we read the book with Easy Annie and like all the venom directed at Easy Annie's single mother was exactly how I thought everyone was looking at me. Yeah. With just all this like, you know, judgment about like what a, a slut or terrible person I was. And really now, so I'm about to turn 41, it's like it all seems laughable and stupid. <laughs> it's well, like who gives a shit? I mean, I think this this goes back to like what we were saying about transformation and the power of friendship is mm. that when you told me, so like when I left my ex-husband, my kids were like three and six. But when you told me you left with a nine-month-old baby, I was like, that is some bad bitch shit. <laughs> it like was. that is being a bad ass. Yes. Like, you know, you always tell everyone like what a badass I am, like how like cool you think I am. But then I'm like, no basic bitch is like leaving their husband with a nine month old baby. That is yeah. insane. And I, so like, to me, I find that to be like a very admirable thing about you. And, um, for all you listeners who don't know this, uh, one of the things that I tricked Adrian into doing was doing a hundred mile bike ride. And part of that process was always like, um, her getting on this bike and like riding. And she just pretty much, she knew how to ride a bike, but you, you were learning how to like do this long distance thing. We had to get your bike and all this stuff, Yeah, but we would be riding and some days, you know, Adrian's mind wasn't there or she was like kind of preoccupied by her home life or whatever. And she would have like these, you would have like anxiety attacks. And then I would, I would think in my head, you left a man with a nine month old baby. Like, If you can do that, if you can pick up and move and change your whole life with a nine month old, you can do anything yeah. because I think that is an amazing choice to make for your own life to make an amazing choice that you made for your kid's life. And, um, I don't know very many women who have that kind of courage. Well, 
I appreciate that, but I would say I think it is very indicative of just like how bad it was, you know? Like it was just that bad where I was like, it's going to be either me or him, you know? Sure. And there's this kid and this little baby in the mix now, and I was like, well, it's not going to be me. <laughs> becomes a badass bitch yeah and I think that's also where I became a much different person and even just talking about the bike stuff like I also became a much different person through that journey um and and I think you know not to be all sappy but I mean that journey and the way that you have pushed me on all sorts of journeys in our lives I think has really changed who I am like when we were talking about some of these things, like sending your kid to your ex-husband's house and being worried that maybe somebody's going to get murdered, that's a real thing, and it creates pain or hurt or right. scar in your heart, this stuff. And, and you carry it. You do. And it wasn't really until I met you that like, I would feel safe to do the things that we do together. Right. Like I would be like, you can't trust people like that. You know? <laughs> Seriously. And 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 I still feel safe in this friendship. And I think, you know, I'm talking to my therapist about like if it's possible for me to be sit, feel safe in like a relationship and for trust sure, somebody right, yeah. that way. And I'm like, well, he's not touching my money. He's not living here. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> One of my favorite moments when you started dating again, you're, or like, because when I first met you, I think you were pretty much like, I'm not dating anymore. But when you started really thinking about it, you were just like, I don't need a dude in here. <laughs> it was like, yes, girl. Adrian, what are some of our favorite moments from this season? Wait, you have to tell me what you've learned from our Sweet Valley High journey. From our Sweet... <laughs> Well, you had some some notes in here about motherhood. I did. I well, I was thinking about the idea of transformation and yeah. like the ideas of um, ways that ways that I have kind of a push pull, right? Because like mm -hmm. the whole thing with a werewolf is like I don't want to be a werewolf. I am a werewolf. I, am I don't want to be a werewolf. My base instincts. Like, yeah, I think um, like you said, like I can live my whole life without anyone ever knowing that I'm I'm married or that I have um, kids. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I do. I struggle. I feel the same way. Like I feel like because I made the partner choice I did with with my children, like mm -hmm. you know, um, that I struggle a lot with a lot of like what was wrong with me to have picked this person to be the father of my children. Right. What was wrong with me to I, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on what was wrong with me as opposed to, as opposed to like fully looking at the situation. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of shame choosing that person, even though I love my kids and I even love my ex-husband um, in terms of the fact that like when I really think about it and I don't think about the way that he personally affected me, I always think about like how it must be hard for him. Um, and I spent a lot of time feeling like I can't be a good parent, like no matter what, like from the very beginning, I was too immature. I was 24 when I got pregnant. Um, and I was too immature to like start having children. Then I had children and then their dad ended up being, you know, bipolar. And then there was always fighting and arguing and I couldn't focus. And then to get out of that sadness, I ended up starting the Windy City Rollers, Roller Derby League. And so then a lot of my time and effort was put into that. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about not being able to deliver and be a mother the way that I see you be a mother. 
Well, I think there's also a big difference, though, because, like, your kids are now, like, launched, right? One is in college, you know, one is, like, you know, living with her boyfriend, like, doing working. Like, they're young adults out of high school. And so now you're in, like, an empty nest reflective period. So I think it's a lot easier to be like, oh, these are the things that I would have, could have, should have done. Um, I mean, obviously from the outside, I'm like, it's pretty fucking badass to be like, you know what? I'm going to start a roller derby. I'm going to take this three-year-old and this six-year-old to the gym. You can (laughs) sit here. You can drive this skate around. I'm about to check a bitch into the wall. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. Like, I think though, at the end of the day, it always is like this it's always this feeling, you know, like I agree with you. I think the, 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 the kids that I raised are awesome people and I'm really proud of who they've become, but I definitely have a lot of feelings of like, even when I was raising the kids, that's why I never wanted it to be my brand. I never wanted anyone to look at me and say, she's a good mom actually. Or like that. Why? Because you were worried they could say, actually you're not correct. I think, I think that like anyone who was going to make any kind of judgment about my mothering was a very complicated feeling. And I think when we think back on our childhood, because I also loved the Cosby show. I loved family ties. Yeah. I love these like very generic like families that had perfect lives. Everyone had a role. And the problems were like concise. They yes. were manageable. And yeah. And it ends in 30 minutes. And I, I couldn't, because my mom wasn't around, I didn't have like a role model for what a mom is. And then I didn't have a dad around. Yeah. So like I didn't have a role model for a dad. So the whole time it's just like this struggling feeling of like, is this the way to raise children? But also is this the way to honor the path and journey that I've been set on? Right. And I think that's always going to be in conflict. Yeah. And I think one thing that's super interesting about this is that like what we're willing to say to ourselves about very similar experiences, we would never be willing to say to our friend. Do you know what I mean? Like we would never, but you know, like if you say I'm a good mom, I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, well, if you say being a good mom is sacrificing a whole bunch of shit you want to (laughs) do, or it's like, you know, making sure that the dentist appointments are happening and that you're doing all these things. I mean, yes, but like you always feel flawed and not enough and like you're not doing the things that you this child needs I mean the other day I think I sent you a text that I was like I just have this fear that Max is gonna see a therapist when he's an adult and he's not even gonna mention that I watch both the sister acts with him (laughs) yes both of them I did not complain Uh, All right. Well, we've got to wrap it up because we, you know, we, you and I could talk forever. So let's talk talk about about our our favorite favorite moments. Yes. Yes. So, um, during the season, first I want to say thank you to the listeners who've Uh, been with us this whole time. Oh my God. We love you. And and you know what? Message us on Instagram. We want to talk to you. Who are you? Right. I'm so curious. (laughs) Um, so here's, here's a few of my favorite moments and then you can tell yours. Tell me. Uh, One is that I think we both loved and were scandalized by Enid's reveal of her drug problem. That's when I knew (laughs) these books were, were different than I entirely remember. Yes. Once she was like, we hit a kid with a car, wow. I think I lost my ever-loving we'll mind. It. And then I hoped that all the books were going to be like that. Didn't turn out that way. <laughs> that set the bar for me. Um, I also loved, uh, you brought up Easy Annie. That, Love her. 
the wrong love. the wrong kind of girl. That was a great book. That was the best climax of any book we have read. Yeah. So it's basically like Annie's trying to become a cheerleader. Yeah. She doesn't become a cheerleader. She tries to commit suicide. Yeah. So th- the attempt at suicide was one thing, but the best part yes. of that storyline is when Jessica brings her back to life. Yes. By offering her spot on the cheerleading team. It is so good, and I. Neither of us have good memories, and I'm very afraid we'll forget this. Let's never. Act <laughs> me right now. We're never going like, to forget it. I'm going to call a tattooist right now. We're Bring gonna, it up every never. week until we die. Uh, <laughs> the other journey that I love is the description of food and people's sizes Ooh. throughout all of the books. Do not eat. <laughs> right. Do not eat. Do not. Uh, there was Robin Wilson's mm-hmm. uh, like she journey. Used to, right. She used to eat like burgers, and she eats lettuce. And mm-hmm. then there's like Elizabeth watching Enid. Excuse me, Alex. His, uh journey with her burrito. Yes. Well, um, and her granola. Only she could have a little granola. Just a, just a little bit. Too much sugar. Bit. If you're, you got to do paleo, Elizabeth. <laughs> and the last thing that I wanted to mention is I did actually, even though it was a trash book and I really did hate reading it, when Sweet Valley Confidential was completed, when we yes. finished that book, I I had this thing where I was like, it is now confirmed that those two twins are trash people. <laughs> and I felt bad about feeling that way. But then I'm also like, maybe this is the comforting part about the books that they've always been trash people. They will always be trash people. And every time you go back, it's like watching the real housewives of New Jersey or whatever. You know it what is. you're going to get. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's a comfort. And what were yours? Okay. So I know I've mentioned this a lot. It's my top most hated moment, which is that we didn't get to see Jessica's cherry get popped. (laughs) I'm still upset about it, so I'm going to put it as number one. I love it. Um, Number two, obviously, reliving Regina's death was very impactful for me as not only just as a person, but just, you know, on a narrative journey. Yes. (laughs) Also, the listeners loved it. Oh, yeah, because everyone... Listen, I have told you over and over again, I am not the only person who didn't do cocaine because of that book. It's true. We, we Everywhere I posted it, there were immediate... Like, out of all the yes. episodes we've done, that is the one where people constantly commented. Yes. You guys, please comment on any of our stuff, but yes. that was definitely I feel like you topic. never believed me, so I feel very validated. I but knew I, do I wasn't the only one. <laughs> Um, obviously my favorite characters that we have spent time with are Easy Annie and Lynn Henry. Yeah. The um, slut and the musician. Especially because of that content we made where I was playing the guitar. So, so check good. that out. <laughs> <laughs> and then um I just want to close by saying, obviously, when Jessica was dating Bruce and they were driving the Porsche to the beach over and over again at least hand jobs were going on, if not blowjobs. This has been a fight between you and me since season, since the second episode. You are wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You guys, thank you for listening to Wokefield. And as always, special thanks to Francine Pascal and all the ghostwriters who churned this shit out so we could read under the covers all night long. This is the last episode of season one. I know. It's so sad. We're all so sad. And we thank you so much for going on this journey with us. We have had the best time. I mean, literally the highlight of my quarantine has been this and all the pizza I've eaten. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, we are going to come back for a second season in a couple of months, but until then, we have pounded out these 13 episodes of book recaps and laughs and great guests. Thank you to all of them. So please revisit them, share them, tell your friends about it. We love you. What will we cover in season two? We'll let you know when we're ready to announce. So make sure to follow our Instagram at WokeFieldPod. That's the best Instagram of all the Instagrams is WokeFieldPod. And you know what? Also, it would be great if you could rate and review us on your favorite podcast app because just like Bruce Patman, we live for the applause. Applause, applause, applause. applause. Also comments. Please comment on our Instagram. Hey, Sweet Valley out. My therapist gives me a peace sign. (laughs) Wolfields! Tell the truth and shame the devil.